Welcome to a Badass Study Podcast, a podcast where you can study while doing whatever. I'm your host, Hannah Dollinger. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 9 of a Badass Study Podcast. I can't believe that we are almost to double digits. Um, So today I was going to have a guest, but it didn't work out. So you guys get to listen to me drone on about interpreting articles. So it's going to be fun. (laughs) Um, So today we are covering task list item B2, which states review and interpret articles from the behavior analytic literature. So today's episode might be a little dry because I'm talking about reviewing and interpreting articles in a podcast format, which just might be difficult to listen to, but I'm going to try and make it as entertaining as possible um, and as informative as possible, obviously. So today I'm going to talk about the different kinds of articles that you may come across in the behavior analytic literature, and then I'm going to walk you through how I read an article, and then we'll go through one together. And I will upload a link to the article that I cover on this episode. I'll upload that to the Instagram page so you can download it and read it, read it and follow along as I review it. All right, so the two most common types of articles include literature reviews and research articles. Um, you'll mostly come across research articles in your career and studies for becoming a BCBA, but um, I do want to briefly cover literature reviews. Um, So literature reviews are basically um, articles that compile multiple articles or research studies to determine if a particular intervention has been effective, um, for what population intervention is effective, or even to look at the state of a particular treatment and how it's been studied in the literature. It's basically an article that demonstrates all that's been done on a particular topic. It just depends on what the literature review is about, like, as far as, um, you know, what its focus is, of course. Then there are research articles, which are usually done, in our field at least, in a single case design, which we're going to cover in the coming episodes. So um, today we'll be discussing a research article, which, again, is really mostly what you'll be looking at within your career and in your schooling to become a BCBA. And reading articles is really really something that comes with practice. You should be reading a ton of articles in whatever program you're in. Um, you should be reading articles when you're putting together treatment plans to determine if what you're doing has been successful with your population that you're working with. And again, like how how the article was or how that study was done and what techniques they used and um what processes and what steps, because that stuff is important if you're trying to replicate the same results and you need to look at how they did what they did. Um, That's that technological piece of the dimensions of ABA that we talked about last episode. So we really can use those same dimensions of ABA to evaluate interventions used in the literature. So if an article doesn't tell you what exactly they did, then they're not doing that technological piece of ABA. Um, If the article did not show a functional relation, 
then what piece of what dimension is is that missing um, analytic so when you're first looking at an article one of my professors once told me to look at the articles in this order first look at the abstract then look at the graph so if the graph shows that the intervention was successful then read the methods and results section um, when you're looking at the graph you want to visually analyze the graph and interpret the results yourself before actually reading the results to see how they interpreted them. So when I am reading an article, I first look at the title and uh, to get a sense of what the study is about. Then I look at the year to see if it's an outdated article or if it's current. If it's outdated, it might be a seminal piece that I'm reading. Um, but even the quote unquote outdated articles, which I believe right now it's anything in the over like eight, eight or 10 years. Um, but if it's outdated, that typically means that, you know, there's more research that's come out on this topic. Or if it's a really, if it's a topic that's really not studied, um, then a, an article that came out 10 years ago might not be considered outdated. Um, so after I look at the title in the year, I read the abstract. And I don't typically read the introduction at first unless it's a concept or intervention that I'm not familiar with. So after I read the abstract, I'll go down to the last paragraph of the introduction to see what their hypotheses are. And then I'll go to the results section and look at the graphs and interpret the graphs for myself. I'll read the figure caption of the graph and I'll read the ordinate and the abscissa labels to see what I'm looking at. And if the results depict a, success, a successful intervention, I will go back and read the method section and the results in detail. And if I'm really interested in the topic, then I'll read the introduction to see like what research has been done already and to read their rationale, which is part of the conceptually systematic dimension of ABA, right? All right, so we are going to read an article together on functional communication training. And I have glanced at this article, but I have not read it all the way through. So this will be good for us to review. So I found this, um, I just Googled functional communication training articles. So it's, I didn't find it through any, um, like any uh, databases that you have to have access to. I just literally Googled. So it should be available to you. Again, I'll upload this on the, the link to it on an Instagram post at ABA study podcast. So you should be able to get it if you want to read along while listening to this. Okay, so first things first, I'm going to look at the title, okay, Reducing Behavior Problems Through Functional Communication Training. This was published in 1985, so it is outdated. It came out, gosh, was that 25 years ago? No, wow, Hannah, like 45 years ago. Um, I don't know if I can do math. <laughs> um, but again, I wanted to find an article that anyone could download without having access to any databases. So, all right, I'm gonna read the abstract. It is generally agreed that, 
So basically, it looks like this article did two separate experiments. So in experiment one, they developed an assessment method for identifying situations in which behavior problems were most likely to occur. Results demonstrated that both low level of adult attention and high level of task difficulty were discriminative for, be for misbehavior. Okay, so for experiment one, looks like they identified situations in... They identified situations where problem behavior was most likely to occur, and the results demonstrated that both low levels of adult attention and high levels of task difficulty were common for sets this so they set the occasion for problem behavior. Okay. So in the second experiment, they know were used to select replacement behavior. Okay. So children were taught to solicit attention or assistance, or both verbally from adults. They used differential reinforcement of functional communication, which produced replicable suppression of behavior problems across four children. Okay, cool. So read the abstract. Now I'm gonna go down to the graphs and look for myself. Okay, so I read the figure caption. And looks like the ordinate is percent of intervals of disruptive behavior. So they they didn't do the same minimum and maximum of their ordinate. So three of them max out at 100% and one of them, Eve, maxes out at 50%. So it makes... I don't love that, but the graphs look really good. Looks like they really were able to reduce problem behavior. And then they discriminated which intervals had low levels and high levels of adult attention and which interval or which sessions had easy or difficult tasks. Okay, looks like it was pretty effective. Okay, I'm gonna go down to, well, let's first talk about, okay, so we're gonna talk about experiment one first. All right, so now that we've determined that the intervention was effective, based on the graphs, we're gonna go back and read the methods section. All right, so before they get into the methods, they talk about their hypothesis, which I should have read before, but let's see. Several studies suggest that children can be taught to solicit attention and assistance verbally. Let's see. See, guys, I hope this isn't too boring for you. Or I hope you're reading it in real time like me. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Experiment one, method. Um, talks about the setup of the, so it talks about the setting, which is only, I only really care about that if I'm looking to replicate or if I'm just interested. Um, so I'm gonna skip over that. Experimental design and overview. Okay, in a given session, a child received either an easy task or a difficult task. 
In addition, a child received adult attention during either 100% or 33% of the time intervals in which the session was divided. Okay. So, procedure. In their Easy 100 sessions, they had easy, the test difficulty was considered easy, and children received 100% attention. So, a child worked on receptive labeling and matched a sample and received some form of adult attention for doing so in 100% of the intervals in each session as determined by time sampling procedure. Okay. Moving on, they talk about, um, they talk more in detail about this. Easy 33 in the regular classroom, teacher attention was typically low during independent work assignments. Okay. Difficult 100 in the regular classroom, vocabulary tasks typically generated many errors because receptive labeling of picture cards from a Peabody link. Okay. Um, to ensure the task was indeed difficult, we carried out an additional assessment prior to the start of the condition. Okay. Okay, they talk about response definitions and reliability, which is good to read, but I'm not going to read that right now. Okay, so... In their conditions, they either had an easy or a difficult task, and they either received attention for one-third of the intervals or for 100% of the intervals. I don't see where they are using FCT, though. I'm going to go back to the abstract. Okay, in the first experiment, we developed an assessment method for identifying situations in which behavior problems occur. Okay, so in the first experiment, they're just trying to figure out when problem behavior is occurring reliably and under what conditions. And in the second experiment, they are using the replacement behavior, which is FCT, in the form of asking for attention or help from adults. Okay, so the first assessment was just figuring, the first experiment was just figuring out under what condition. So kind of like a functional analysis, like when you do a functional analysis, you're trying to figure out under what conditions the problem behavior is occurring. Um, like, are they doing it for access to attention, tangible items um, to escape a task, or is it maintained by automatic reinforcement? Um, so this looks like what kind of something similar to that. Okay, so results. Let's see, let's see, let's see, figure one. So it looks like Jim, I'm going back to the graph. Jim had high level, higher levels of problem behavior during difficult tasks with 100% of attention. So they didn't do any difficult tasks with lower levels of attention. They just did easy tasks with lower levels of attention. Okay, so Jim, high problems of behavior during difficult tasks. Eve had higher problems of behavior reliably during difficult tasks. Tom 
interesting. Not interesting. Yeah, okay. Tom only had higher levels of problem behavior during easy tasks, but low attention. And Sue had higher levels of attention of problem behavior during both difficult tasks and easy tasks, but lower levels of attention. Okay, cool. So now that we've determined under what conditions problem behavior is likely to occur, let's move on to experiment two. In experiment two, we sought to reduce the behavior problems identified in experiment one by teaching the children verbal communicative phrases that serve to elicit either adult assistance or adult attention. Okay. Now I'm going to go down to the graph. This is a much more complicated graph, it looks like, than the first one. Okay, so I'm going to look at my figure caption. Percent of intervals of disruptive behavior during baseline, relevant response, and irrelevant response phases. See, I don't know what that means right now because I haven't gone back and read the method section yet. Um, open circles depict sessions conducted by an informed experimenter. Filled circles sessions conducted by naive experimenters. Okay. The ordinate says percent of intervals of disruptive behavior, and the abscissa says sessions. So looks like Jim. So he's the one that had elevated levels of problem behavior during difficult tasks but with attention. So he needed to be, he probably needed to be taught how to ask for help. So, okay. Irrelevant response. So looks like they reliably reduced problem behavior during the relevant response phase, which again, I don't know what that is quite yet. Okay, I mean, okay, looks like it worked. I'm guessing based on this graph that the relevant response phase was their intervention because that reliably reduced reductions in problem behavior for all participants. So let's go back and read the methods for experiment two. Okay, let's see. Experimental design and overview. I can read that, but I my question right now is what their method was. Okay. Procedure. Okay. So baseline, all procedures and tasks used were the same as described in experiment one with two exceptions. First, after every incorrect response in the difficult 100, the experimenter would ask, do you have any questions? It was necessary to include this question in baseline because it was subsequently used in the relevant, irrelevant response phases. Okay. Um, they used different Peabody cards. Oh, they used more cards rather than before in experiment one. Okay, relevant response phase. This is what I wanted to know. Okay, this phase was identical to baseline, except that it was preceded by a training period. Specifically, each child was taught to respond to the query, do you have any questions with either, am I doing good work, or I don't understand, depending on which statement was relevant to the problem situation at hand. 
Um, in stage one, the child was verbally prompted by the experimenter to make the requisite response, i.e. say, I don't understand, or say, am I doing good work? When the child correctly imitated on at least eight of 10 trials, stage two began. Okay, so they did some training, which let's see if that was in the graph. No, that was not included in the graph. Um, okay. When the child made an error, the experimenter said, that's not correct, and added, do you have any questions? Say, I don't understand. When the child imitated correctly, the experimenter said a variation of the sentence, okay, I'll show you, and then pointed to the appropriate picture while verbalizing its label. Okay, and then in the easy 33, so remember, easy 33 was easy, like the level of difficulty was easy for the task, and then 33 was, sorry, my, my dog is moving around, um, 33 was attention was delivered for one-third of the intervals, or 33%. So in this session, every 30 seconds, the experimenter inquired, do you have any questions? Say, am I doing good work? When the child imitated correctly, the experimenter said a variation of the sentence, I like the way you're working today. You're putting all the pictures where they belong. Okay. When the child imitated correctly on at least eight of 10 trials, stage three began. In this stage, the adult's verbal prompts were faded out. That is, the adult spoke the sentence, say, blank, more and more quietly over trials. Interesting. Okay. Let's see, okay. Irrelevant response phase. This phase was conducted in the same manner as the previous one, except that each child was taught to respond to the experimenter's question in a manner opposite that specified in the previous phase. That is, in difficult 100, the child was now taught to answer, am I doing good work? And in easy 33, to say, I don't understand. I don't understand that. Um, during difficult 100, which again, difficult task, but the child's receiving 100% of attention, the experimenter responded to the child's communicative phrase by praising, for example, I like the way you're trying today. However, assistance was not provided. During easy 33, the experimenter responded by providing assistance. However, praise was not was not provided. In short, during the irrelevant response phase, the children were taught phrases that produced consequences that were presumably irrelevant to the problem situation. Specifically, the children received praise in Difficult 100, a situation that called for assistance, and they received assistance in Easy 33, a situation that called for praise. Okay. Um, all right, so let's... Go to the results. Actually, let's take a little break. I hear my dog moving around and then we will talk about the results. Okay, so I had some difficulty understanding exactly the purpose of the relevant and the irrelevant response phase. Um, so it makes sense to me that they're teaching them a phrase that is relevant um, so that they can solicit reinforcement. But the irrelevant response phase kind of 
confuse me. So there is a diagram on page 119 where <clears throat> basically the, the relevant or the Ill, irrelevant response is tailored to if the task was difficult or easy. So in the difficult tasks, the relevant response was saying, I don't understand. So makes sense. They need help with their task. And then the irrelevant response was, am I doing good work? Because that's, if I don't understand, that's asking if they're doing good work isn't really relevant if they need help. In the easy tasks, but low attention, the relevant response was, am I doing good work? Because the work is easy, so they need to know they're just looking for praise. And then the irrelevant response was, I don't understand. Because if it's easy, doesn't matter if they don't, like, they're not going to not understand because it's an easy task. Okay, so now that we've kind of cleared that up because I was a little bit confused. Um, so that was the functional communication response. They taught them to either solicit attention or um, ask for help. So now that we've read the method, let's go down to the... I'm going to go down to the graph again. So Jim for difficult 100. So again, we're looking at percentage of intervals of disruptive behavior on the ordinate. So during the irrelevant response phase, problem behavior remained similar to baseline. They replicated baseline. It's the same. Then they implemented the relevant response phase and problem behavior was at 0%. Implemented baseline again, problem behavior increased, implemented the relevant response phase back to levels of zero, baseline again, problem behavior increased. Then they did the irrelevant response phase, problem behavior increased further, baseline decreased a little bit but still elevated. Then they ended on the relevant response phase and it was at zero. Okay, great. They also have a bar graph during the uh, response phases and the bar graph, let's see, in the figure caption, the level of relevant res verbal responses indicated by stippled bars and that of irrelevant verbal responses by hatched bars. Okay, so they demonstrated both levels of problem behavior and they demonstrated levels of actual engaging in the communication response. Okay, cool. So Eve, who had difficult 100, same as Jim, looks like irrelevant response phase was similar to baseline. Relevant response phase had similar results for each relevant response phase. And yeah, was effective for her. Tom looks like it was effective for all of them. Yeah. I have these data look really, really good. So then let's go back to the results section and read those a little bit in detail, see if they interpreted the same as we did. Okay. Disruptive behavior was reduced to low levels after a child was trained to emit a relevant communicative response, but remained high after a child was taught an irrelevant communicative response. Makes sense because they are not being reinforced for um, 
their response, reinforced appropriately in the way that they're seeking. Okay. Jim displayed an average level of disruption at 36.2%. Disruptive behavior during irrelevant response phase averaged 48%. And then during the relevant response phase fell to 0.5%. That's amazing. Data for the other three children are similar to those for Jim, which that's what it looked like in the graphs. Um, So let's see. And they used naive experimenters. So they used the regular experimenter and they used novel adults, it looks like. that. Um, so that incorporates the generality piece of the dimensions of ABA because they're trying to generalize across adults. All right, let's see. I mean, yeah, these look really good. They interpreted the results well. Um, then the discussion talks about other things that happened in the experiment, maybe, um, things that you could do differently for the next experiment where future research should focus on or some things that they would have done differently. So, um, yeah, that was a good article. Cool. So after reading the article, if I wanted to reduce, if I had kids in a the school setting who had difficulty asking for help, I could refer back to this article and I, I would look at the training portion to see exactly how they taught these students how to ask for help. And then um, I wouldn't even, I would not bother with the irrelevant response teaching them that because it wasn't effective. So I would go straight to teaching them the relevant response. All right, cool. Well, I hope that wasn't too boring for you guys. I actually really enjoyed reading that article out loud, and I think this article was mostly just me thinking aloud. Um, But yeah, so I will have the article posted on the Instagram page once the article or once the episode comes out at ABA Study Podcast. Head to the Instagram page if you have questions. want to give feedback, you can just message me. Um, If you liked the episode, which I really hope you did because this was kind of a boring but important episode, you need to know how to read articles, Um, leave a review, leave feedback. You can email me at abastudypodcast at gmail.com. And next episode will hopefully be way more um, entertaining. We're going to be talking about task list item B3, which is all about systematically arranging independent variables, which sounds just as fun. Am I right? Um, So everyone stay safe, stay home, wash those hands and get studying.